0: Today on IFS Masters, we're so happy to welcome C. Sykes and Tony Herbine-Blank. C. Sykes is a consultant and senior trainer with the Internal Family Systems Institute, where she specializes in trauma and addiction and educates therapists around the world on how to apply the IFS model to addictive processes. Additionally, she's exploring how psychotherapy affects the therapist's life. Tony Herbine-Blank has been an IFS trainer since 2004 and has been instrumental in designing programs and writing curricula for IFS trainings. Tony is the developer of Intimacy from the Inside Out, an IFS-based couples therapy program in which she trains therapists and offers retreats around the world. So welcome, Cece and Tony. We're so happy you're
1: with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We're happy to be here and happy to be together. <laughs>
2: Welcome, Sis and Tony, and thanks much for accepting the invitation to kick off this new podcast. When did the two of you first meet? Are there any stories or memories you would want to share?
3: When did we first
1: meet, Cis? I, I think I know. Okay, you go. You go then, because my memory... <laughs> you can confirm or deny. Um, I believe we met in Grand Beach uh, at an IFS meeting. So periodically, the IFS organization would meet. At that time, it wasn't a train. Now, that that time was the organization, or you know, and uh, we met in Grand Beach at this really beautiful old cozy inn. And um, I had heard of Tony, and there was a few coming in from the East Coast. She was still on the East Coast then, and Mid. I Dick and a lot of people trainers were still in the Chicago area too. So we were all meeting in Michigan, and that's where we met. I do remember that. I do. I remember that meeting
3: because I remember we would do business all day long, and then like get crazy and dance and drink wine at night. And I remember thinking, "Wow, this is a very interesting organization that I'm that I'm entering into." (laughs) So I do remember that meeting also. Yes.
1: Yeah, we went down to the beach, and sometimes Ralph would play his guitar on the beach, and we'd all sing. (laughs) Right. So it was, it was nice. So that was about, I, if I had to guess, I would say that was 2001. Right.
3: I think so. That's right.
2: Tony, at what point in your IFS journey did you transition to being a trainer? And um, what was that transition like for you?
3: Uh, Let's see. I remember my basic, my level one training was in some 1999, 2000. And I remember even at that time, Dick approached me and said, because there weren't many trainers at that time, and things were beginning to expand. Cease, you might have already been on board by then. And he said, would you have any interest in being a trainer? And I said, Would I have to do demos in front of groups of people? And he said, yes, of course. And then I said, okay, no, thank you. (laughs) So that was, (laughs) and he said, of course, well, you work with those parts and I'll circle back to you in a little while. So I guess I must have worked on those parts. And uh, my first AT ship was in 2004 in the first Boston. Massachusetts training so it took me a few years to I guess to work with those parts (laughs) and and that's and then and you asking about what the transition was like at that time there wasn't a lot of training of trainers so it was more and see you'll get to say your experience it was more like um, you know more than the students trust yourself get out there and do it that that was that was how we were initiated into being on the trainer track and fortunately we were paired up you know i don't i i'm pretty sure we weren't just tossed into the wolf den um all by ourselves so um it's been an it was an incredible journey of learning and growing and never in my life had i ever said to myself oh i think i'd be a great teacher
4: mm.
3: you know Uh oh, I think I would love to be a trainer. That was the opposite of my, you know, my thinking about myself. So um, really an an amazing journey of growing into being a trainer.
0: That really surprises me to hear you say that you never would have thought that you'd be a great teacher, because it's one of the things I remember so strongly from being in your IFIO training, and that I've told people many times since that you're just a phenomenal teacher. So this is actually surprising. It's kind of neat to hear about.
3: Yeah, there's a story. There's a story also, when I was invited to go to this meeting, this early meeting, and there was some interest in me becoming a trainer, someone said publicly, why would you ever have Tony Herbine blank be a trainer? She doesn't speak. Wow. So that was a that was a reputation that I had back way back in the day. Now you can't shut me up, but you know, back in the day, I was fairly shy and not very confident. So, oh, wow. um,
1: anyway. <laughs>
2: and what about you, sis? How was that transition like for you?
1: Uh, well, it was it was slightly different, but I just want to comment on you. I don't think I've actually ever heard that story before. So I'm just so, like, awestruck, like, from there to where you are. So that's that's a great story. I just did not exactly heard that. I had known Dick from the family systems community in the Chicago area, so I kind of knew of him. And I, I won't get into this whole story, but at first when I first heard the model, I didn't really like it. But it didn't really exist. He just was, you know, he, there was a three-hour workshop. Dick is going to talk about this new – Dick has a new idea. So all the family therapists go to hear Dick talk about his new idea. He's talking about this inner world, and we're like, what? So it was that went on for a number of years. That was that's forty years now since that first came out, and then he didn't write the book for a long time. So I always knew he was around Chicago, and I'd listen to hear about what he had to say, or I'd see him in the networker. So <clears throat> he was speaking not too far from where I worked, so I went to see him. And so then, as I like to say, the model had so improved. <laughs> I possibly had done some individual work in, my, in myself at that time too. I'd gone through a lot in my life and done some good work, so I think I was more ready for this model where there's such a focus on our inner world and our vulnerability. And I don't think I was ready for that before that. Um, as a systems person, you know, you're thinking bigger picture, and that, that worked for my system uh, for for a while, and then it didn't. I was ready for something different. But and then the trace. So anyway, so he goes. So Dick told me about this training that was going to start in a couple months. I go, okay, I'm signing up. So I took the training, and um, after like the, the second or third meeting, I just went up to the front and said, um Dick." I go, "I just, I know I have a long way to go and everything, but this is exactly what I want to do." I go, "I don't mean like you, but I mean I just want to assist." I mean, at that time, only Dick taught, so no one thought we would be him. But they, you know, Kay Gardner, Susan McConnell, and a couple other people were assisting. I go, "This is what I want to do." He goes, "Well, you're the kind of person we're looking for." I'm like, "Okay, all right. Well, I'm, I'm going to be working on this." So when I finished, he asked me to PA. So I said, sure. And then when I was done with, you know, the it was also new then. So that was in 98. It was also new then. And so I asked me to PA and then he asked me to be an AT. I mean, there wasn't any levels. It was all, he just asked me to assist in another thing. And really I wasn't the ATA, but I didn't do anything that AT2s now. I'm so impressed with what they do now. I couldn't even do what the ATs do. I was just supposed to help. And so I did. And then, um, the next, then the next call I get is what I like to be a lead trainer. And I'm like, what? You know, it's like eight o'clock in the morning. My kids are. I'm still like making lunches, you know. And I'm like, hi, Dad. You know, I don't know what he's calling me about. It turns out he needed someone to go down to Mississippi to a fundamental Christian training, what we would now call an organizational training, um, where everyone there identified as fundamental Christian, and the organization was that. And would I go down there, and I was, um, like wow, you know, okay, you know, I just, he said, first, would I like to be a lead trainer? And then I got all the details later. And I was a little overwhelmed. And I said, well, then I remember Beth O'Neill, actually, uh, Susan McConnell's partner had said once, why would the trainers have to be alone? Why would we have to do it that way? And I said, you know what, I think I could do it with someone. And so, well, what do you mean? I said, just to co-league with someone. So (laughs) anyway, Karen Blachey knew the people who were organizing the Mississippi training so Karen Blachey and I co-led a training. And after that, Dick said, this is good. And like you say, Tony, we were not thrown out there alone. Uh, and I wasn't ready. Um, but Karen Blachey knew a lot of organizational, interpersonal group matrix kinds of things that she brought from the Hukomi community. And we were good partners. And I'll say one last story about that. She taught me a lot because she said to me months before the training started, which is not my personality. She will see we have to have a meeting. I go, oh, my God about what? I go, what? What are we going to read about? She goes, we just had to speak for our parts about, you know, leading a training. I go, we do? She goes, yeah, we, you know, she said, you know, you want to, and she really taught me, she put a name on many things I decided before. I had gone out and led workshops and spoken at conferences and those kinds of things before in the family systems community, but I've had, I had injuries. I had exiles around speaking with someone who took my time and You know, just a lot of those things, those interactional kinds of things that happen that are painful and stressful and hard to do live. And she just nailed it all and said, we have to speak. We have to get seated. And so in order to get seated, we have to know what we need to get seated. And we organized down to 15 minutes. Like if I organized, if I named an exercise, she would do the process of it. So everything felt equal. So we would not overshadow each other and trigger our parts. So I had a lot to learn, and I I learned a lot from her. And then the next person I co-led was with with Tony Herbine-Blank. I don't know how you prepared for it, But That was my preparation, my first preparation for being in front of that room. And I still, I don't don't know how it went for you.
3: I I remember it going really well. And I also remember us being so, maybe, maybe it was me, but so afraid and so tight as a result of it. So the planning was, you know, what do you want to do, making it even, nobody's going to overshadow yeah. anybody else, even though I had parts that were like, you're such, you're so much better than I am anyway. But I just remember us being so tight in that process.
1: Oh, you know? me too. I thought we communicated really well. And I really <clears throat> knew I what Karen taught me is to actually respect and listen to my own exiles and honor what they would need, Right that you know when I would feel insecure and so that helped and I think I brought that to that training with you and you were ready to speak for all of that you no know, I mean I was always my you know Tony brought in like these films you know the, the film what was the film Tony the film the Robert Rabbit Rabbit. it was about horses horses it's not horses of course Tony and her horses <laughs> but beautiful you am like oh my god she's having these ideas you know and I'm more of a talker But we put all our stuff together because we honored that we each would feel vulnerable at different points. And we will process that vulnerability with each other.
0: That actually leads like right into what I wanted to ask you guys about next, which is how would you each say that your journey as IFS trainers has impacted you personally in terms of ways that it's challenged you or led to your, your growth? Mm. It's
3: a good question. Yeah, it's great. You know, I also wanted to just say while you were talking, just just so while I'm remembering this, then we can go to your question, cease about you know the influence of Karen on you. And I do think, even though we were kind of pushed out on our own, there was a smaller network, and I think you know, and it got things got passed around like that very thing that Karen offered and Susan McConnell, who is a, a genius at creating experientials, And so things got passed around and trickled down to us. So I, I want to acknowledge that, that when the trainer community was small, there were a lot of, of sharing of resources. So I, I just think that's an important thing to to add here.
1: Yeah. Tonya mentioned this earlier, a meeting of a a committee that, what do we call the, what were we call some type of advisory advisory The advisory committee. <laughs> Where we, we would meet and just, there'd be a handful of us and to talk about issues, to talk about what comes up in a training. So it was, and it, we, it was, in, I mean, of course it was in person, but we got, to, we had that opportunity. And I really, really agree with you, Tony, that that was such a great way to learn you know, we had the opportunity to talk to each other about what we were doing. You know, I miss that knowing. I don't know what anybody does out there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we really had that opportunity to learn from others and with each other. And about the, the next
3: question, which is, would you say it again? Sure. Just curious
0: about how you would each say that your journey as trainers has personally impacted you in terms of challenge, challenging you or contributing to, to personal growth?
3: You know, it's so there is so much to say about this. And I think because the journey has been, I mean, it's, it's 2023. And this journey for me started in, you know, 2001, (laughs) you know, But I think that, and I I feel emotional even talking about this, I think that I had never in my career up to that point been seen and acknowledged in the way that Dick saw and acknowledged me and then Susan McConnell and some other trainers that were ahead, ahead. So I think for me, being seen and asked to step through a humongous door um, started something for me around my self worth around my feeling like I had something to offer that I was really excellent at something for the first time in my life, you know, and, and that end, as I said earlier, it came out of the blue for me that that I would be going on this journey. So, you know, one of the first and big things was building confidence, in myself to show up and have a voice and be in the front of a room and and have um, power in a good way, power to be used in a very good way, and to collaborate with Dick and the rest of this small team of trainers to develop something that would go to change the world, quite honestly, so or is currently, you know, that's the mission anyway, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, so that was on the career that was the career side of it, and then, on the personal side of it was making sense of myself in a whole completely different way than I had to bring the idea of this kind of work to my partner, Jordan, my husband, and um to people in my life as well, so I think there was a professional track and a personal growth track as well,
1: you know boy, it's. I'm really thinking about what you're saying, Tony. I just, again, for me to step out was I have a lot of parts like that. The oldest child of six in a chaotic household with a depressed mom. You know, I was diapering at four, right? So stepping out, taking a risk. Even my mother admitted, you didn't have a childhood. Thank you, mom. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, You know, so stepping out, but also that also often came from not bad parts, but just really sort of impulsive parts, and I would deny my fear, deny my vulnerability to get out there. So and then I'd be faced with it, like, oh, wait a minute, what am I doing? Who raised my hand for me? You know, so it was more like, you know, I had a lot of seeming comfort to get out there. But then the process is really checking in and being with my vulnerability, and speaking for it, and, um and knowing it was there. Uh, In that same process. Now, I had a ton to learn about how to. um, I mean, I love what Tony's saying. I, I don't know. I think this is true for you, Tony. I would say it is, but and you could speak to that. I feel like though, as much as I am a leader, uh, in that sense of I don't mind stepping out, um, my nature is to be collaborative. My nature is to find. um, My nature is to find collaboration to work with. Um, that's my desire. It's really strong in me. Um, we had a beautiful experience, for instance, in this very first training where there was lots of different cultural and obviously spiritual differences, but to find a way to communicate that was safe and okay and make space for differences. And I'm sure Tony will speak about this, but to make to find a way to be with differences and be ourselves, uh, that's the challenge. and um i i I found that challenge exciting and a lot to learn about that. But it was really something I really wanted to learn. Uh, I really wanted to learn it. And so my very first training was kind of thrown into uh, how to be with differences and at the same time, you know, be who i am i'm not gonna pretend i'm someone else you know uh and and i so that process thats a process you know you don't just sound event right and that's what you're talking about tony it's a process of you know uh just learning how to do that
2: Tony, what changes do you notice in trainees as they get familiar with the IFS model?
3: You know, the, I don't teach IFS trainings anymore. So I, don't, I haven't been tracking what's been happening in level ones or level twos. I forget when I did my last level one training. Um, it was in California. I remember that. It was probably five or so years ago. But you know, in the beginning, and I don't know, Cease, maybe maybe you know, remember better than I. But in the beginning, you know, people who just kind of got wind of the model or wind of uh, Dick Schwartz were showing up in these trainings. So they were very, you know, not right, not racially diverse, but people doing all all kinds of different things: massage therapists, some therapists, some, you know, they were kind of groups of people who were interested in finding out about the paradigm. And I think there's been a humongous evolution over the years of, first of all, how much access from all over the world. So all of people are now have access to this training from, you know, trainings are online, there's the circle program, there's, you know, the trainers are willing to be online, you know, there, there is so much more access for so many more people. And I think in some ways, the, the groups have gotten more complex in a way. And in another way, I think that IFS is now in the mainstream in a big way. Cease, would you agree with that? Would you say that? Yeah. So lots of clinicians, people who are wanting to apply it, you know, in the therapy room. So I don't know if that was what your question was, but I I really do see that there's an evolution of who's showing up for these trainings, given how much more access there is Um. And also how popular it's gotten. You know, it's it's gotten so popular that it's hard to get into a training these days.
2: Our question is was more focused on on the personal experience of the model when the trainees go into a process of getting familiar with the model. What kind of changes in their systems you can witness?
1: I have one thought about that. And you can tell me what you think, Tony. I feel like when we first started training in the early one or two or three, all at four five, six, all of that, that people going inside was like, what? We're going to do what? You know, and that was not a thing in the, you know, that was not a thing in the psychotherapy. We didn't talk about mindfulness. It wasn't even discussed really. So people weren't prepared for that. You know, I, I my joke I used to tell is that although they were in California, Tony and I were in California, you know, you would ask Californians to go in, they're like, mm-hmm, you got to yank. Come out, okay. Back, come on, back to the group. You know, they're sitting there in their little poses, they little yoga poses. And I go to Boston, so I want to go inside. I used to My joke used to be, and you can't. See, I mean, you know, people will go inside with one eye open, like mm, 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 because it was just not a part of our world. And the um, at the same time, uh, so I think that tr- having people sort of trust that idea that going inside was valuable. Uh, I think creating safety for going inside, for for getting vulnerable to find that vulnerability. I think that's still something, even though people are more aware now of what they'll face, if you will, in a training. Uh, So therefore I think the model, especially by level two, but the model tends to attract people who are willing Often willing to entertain that risk. Uh, I have taught, you know, if you teach to groups that are not IFS, and I know you experience this, Tony, uh, it's startling how much uh, we focus on our own parts in this model as trainers and as clinicians. And I think also the idea that there's a spiritual
3: component to this model. Yeah is was is also very different you know it's it's akin to this idea of going inside and also the idea that you can be in relationship with your feelings from this inner wisdom this spiritual place as opposed to either be your feelings or talk about them i think i think that's also um you know it's getting more popular now i notice in other therapy models but back in the day mm. that was a new concept for clinicians. You know, I remember in one level one, and I, I still know this person today, she's one of my trainers, her raising her hand at the end of a training. She's sitting on the floor, you know, she's writing in her her notebook. She said, if my colleagues could see me, she said, I'm used to going to trainings and workshops where you sit at those long desks and there's a pitcher of water and a, a bowl of candy, and you write. You don't speak and you don't you certainly don't feel anything. And then you go home. She said, I you know, this is like the first time I've
1: ever experienced anything like this. So that's right. <laughs> it's different. Well, and you know what, Tony, you're reminding me too of something that happened um early on. I, you know, in the first trainings, there was no book. There was no training manual. There was a folder, like the kind you use in third grade, where there's two spots you know, pockets on each side. And there were some articles thrown in there, some of them that some of us had written and other people had written and they were thrown in there and they're all of different typefaces and different things. This is what you got. So we came to Boston. You were there, Tony. <clears throat> you know this story, but let me, if you can speak to this, but we went like out to the East Coast and they're like, they're waving around these handouts. This is a journey
4: This is what you're giving
1: us. So the formalization of the model, it was very, not only grassroots, but it was very organic in a certain way. You know, Kay Gardner, who still does brilliant legacy burden work, would take us out to the fireplace to throw our burdens in, you know. I mean, it was organic and uh, it still involves exactly what you're saying, Tony, where we all are sitting, writing about our own parts and interacting in a much more casual atmosphere than uh, in a hotel room writing. But at the same time, it has formalized enormously, don't you think? And standardized, yeah. Because we used to do
3: our own thing. It'd be like, how many Fs are there? I think they're five. Maybe they're six. And maybe they're 10. And now we have Ps. And it was all, you know, it was all like
1: much more, much much looser. <laughs> right. I used to be like, I don't really like the six i I'm going to just teach the five. You know, five <laughs> is work. Five works for me better. Right. You know, we would hear You know, or, you know, right, even the start of our day, some people started a little later, earlier. There was a lot of casualness around uh, all of it. Um, So, yeah, and the standardization of what the model is, uh, I think, has evolved.
2: But it's still mostly experiential, the training, as at the beginning
1: experiential is there. I mean, we didn't have success when I took it. you know, I, that came in there pretty early on, but the five ps were later. and but having said that, the core of the model, you know, is is pretty much the same. But some of the learning how to teach it in a way that would be understood had to be linear had to be more linear and and while maintaining the
3: experiential component. And that's another thing that I think, you know all the trainers have had to really work on that how to how to maintain at least i have I'll name I'll speak for myself how to maintain my my belief in the power of experience and also to teach in in ways you know people learn in different ways different different learning styles neurodiversity interculturally what lands people differently. And I think, you know, finding the balance between what we learned so many years ago, but being able to offer it in a with a much wider lens is what all the trainers are or should be looking at now. How can this model be taught in a way that um doesn't make people feel like they have to say, well, this I can take this, but this would never work with the population that I'm working with. And but to be able to speak to it and offer offer ideas on how to expand the teaching of the basic principles so more people can it can be user friendly across
1: <laughs> many divides. You know that's so well put Tony and I think now see how this sounds to you. I almost think so maybe <clears throat> the first thing was this energy of God getting the model out in the world. And then the next energy was how to standardize this training so that the training has some form. Uh, Susan McConnell was very instrumental in developing the first trainer manual, but then so that got sort of formalized. But maybe then this is the next level: is taking what got cr- the solid foundations of this model and the way it's taught to expanding it to being taught. I love how you're saying it. So no one has to sit there and say, "Good idea," but I can't bring this to my community. You said that so well. That's maybe the next level here: is that it's really uh who it reaches and so once again we are changing what we teach and how we teach uh to be in more invitational uh you know we have long wanted and talked about in the community from a lot for a long time about expanding the reach to people of color you know to all marginal communities to the lgbtq community and always have had some interaction there but uh you know, we're now changing the way we teach to accommodate the global majority uh, in a good way and be invitational and create belonging there. And so we're changing again. I'm really appreciating what you're saying in
0: terms of how the evolution of the teaching of the model is happening in part to 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 be more welcoming to all people. Um, I'm wondering if you know, across the years you've been lead trainers for so long, if there are particular practices that you have been found to be most effective, you know, in teaching the model?
3: Totally. (laughs) I'm going to talk specifically about the intimacy from the inside-out trainings, but it's more about my own journey as a trainer. And, you know, I did talk a little bit about my... (laughs) you know, walking through this huge door and finding some some finding excellence and getting being seen, you know, I think there were many, many years that as a trainer, I taught from parts that could feel into what people needed to feel safe and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And in that, like there there was the, the the benefit of that but there was also the dark side of that which is you know the parts that needed to be seen and loved and part of my journey has been to learn how to grow into a self-led leader which which is um you know is much more honest, if I if I could say that, but much less caretaking of a group. And, you know, so to take more risks, to be myself, to let myself be challenged and not go into a collapse zone, to be vulnerable and real without burdening the training group with my exiles, <laughs> <laughs> to... Um, <laughs> keep those exiles stuffed away somewhere till later. No, but you know to to be discerning and to be, I think honest and real and discerning and allowing my allowing my self-led leader to lead instead of from parts that were seeking something from a training group. And you know, I would say to all new trainers, <laughs> you know, that, that there's a there's a process around understanding who's leading in front of a group. And it's important to know. And, you know, I love my parts, you know, as you say, Cece. you know, I, I love my managers, I couldn't get out of bed without them. You know, I love my creative parts, I love my therapist parts. But to be able to be discerning about who's driving the bus at any given time, I think, and to learn and to learn about what it means to ha, to use systemic use the systemic group process um things that we the tools that we've learned but but do it in a self-led way i don't know if i'm making any sense here but
0: oh absolutely i'm, I'm loving this actually i'm
1: really loving this thank you well i was really thinking like what what was what was I doing, and what what am I doing out there, and what is I, you know? And I'm just thinking, what was my first? I guess always my inclination is to um be honest about myself, authentic about myself. Not I guess my goal is not to be perfect. I always say that my staff. Yeah, I'm very bad at being perfect, but I'm very good at repair. So, you know, um, uh, so, you know, I might get impatient or say something too fast or miss something because I'm moving too fast because that's my tendency. So you give me feedback. I'm open to it. And, you know, my first thing I wrote is why I love my firefighters. Right. That's the first thing I ever wrote about IFS. And so I think in a training, you know, when people are skeptical, they're annoyed, they're irritated, they don't get the model. They don't want to do this. They don't want to take those risks. I feel very, very. Um, I think probably instinctually, like so not so with self leadership, but just sort of from my parts, was to welcome all of that. That was probably my my leading edge. That that was my tendency, my parts to really because of my own uh, strong. <laughs> uh you know, resistance to authority and those kinds of things. So when people are resisting my authority, I always think, mm-hmm, yeah, of course. So um, go ahead, resist. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm still charged, but go ahead. You know, but I mean, just that sense of I want to welcome some of that. So I think that kind of energy uh that helps me. um I just want to be accepting for, I guess, for whatever is in the room. So where's my... Where's my edge? What do I have to find? Again, as I said earlier, is my vulnerability to be able to say when I've been hurt. You know, I mean, to really just to, to say I have hurt feelings. This is a lifetime to say that. but certainly say it in public. You know, so to say that, you know, to, this is my growing edge and it will continue to be my growing edge, I think, you know, um, to say this. You know, I I need you. I remember, you know what, Tony? It was this training in California you and I were doing together. And we had the we had the abbot of the San Chicago San Francisco I mean of the San Francisco Zen Center in our training. And he was a wonderful guy. Uh he has passed now. Um He did.
3: Oh, I didn't know. That.
1: He did. Yeah. He, yeah. He's such a I will just say, I'm gonna just toot my own horn for a little bit. I went on to do some work with him in Tasahara and at Green Gulch. Um, so I went from a Christian community to the Zen community, you know, within the space of a year or two. It was hilarious. But um, he said something in the training. Someone made something in our comment. And he said, well, we all need each other. You remember him saying that? Someone was come, saying something about, a, you know, the, a difficulty they were having in, our, in the process, not just in the process, in the group process. And he said, yeah, well, we all need each other. And that went directly into my exiles. And those are statements that, you know, I've learned to be able to say and admit to myself and then bring to the training, of course. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm good, you know, in short order. I'm good with firefighters. I'm decent with managers. And I've learned around my own vulnerability. Um, I think that's uh, probably... I've never thought about it just this way before. So I hope I don't regret saying this. But anyway, that's what I think is true.
3: You know, could I add something to this? Just you made me think of something. See's here too, which is the challenge of any leader. You know, is in group situation is to. I mean, we are projected on too, continually, right.
4: um,
3: and you know i remember my my wise husband actually saying to me at some point which began my journey of why you know who's leading who's leading in these groups which is you can't you can't accept all the good projection and then reject all the bad projection so how about if you don't take any of them mm-hmm. and and it was such a great learning for me because i needed to work with you know what am i what am i receiving and believing and it, you know what good or what harm is it doing to me? You know, speaking of vulnerability, Cease, and then be able to be on the receiving end of sometimes really harsh feedback. Which you were saying, you know, Cease, and you're better with firefighters than I am. You know, th- those were all exiled in my family. You know, so, so they were very,
1: very covert. <laughs> there we go. My family—they were paraded around. Nobody knew that they were led. <laughs> right. <laughs> right.
3: But how to take feedback from a clear and clean place which says then, here's what rings true for me and I'm gonna to go to work on it and here's what I'm gonna give back to you. And that is a powerful, and I'm still working on it, trust me, I'm still working on it. But I think it's also part of being a leader is, is being, willing, being in the face of all of this projection and being willing to receive you know, feedback and use it well. And not either put yourself, elevate yourself um, or crush yourself, you know, so
1: good, good leadership. Tool. Can I just add one little piece to that? You're helping me feel, say something. So I feel like, yes, I, you know, hearing good feedback, you know, it can sometimes be too much. And it can be too much projection or idealization sometimes, but also it's really helped me have confidence that what I'm saying, and this is separate somewhat in some of my application and my addictive process work, and you can talk about yours, Tony. So as I put my ideas out there to have it land and people say that helps me, that I get that now, that makes me so much sense for me or for my clients. Those kinds of feedback about what I'm teaching was really helpful. And I did take it in as, you know, in in using it. So it's good that it's useful beyond me. So there's that kernel in there. And then I agree with you totally, Tony. The other thing is then when there's something negative or harsh coming at my, my way, I always find that there's probably a kernel of truth in it, even if it's, I don't, you know, even if a lot of it is, but but there's something in there for me to learn. And, um, I look at that, I look at it that way, that in the negative, there's something in there for me to learn and, um, and I, and to receive that, um, but also that the and what positive does is to how do you feel about that, Tony? I feel and I'm putting my ideas out there over the process of these last many years it's it's great. I, I love you're saying that actually because it's it's saying
3: I could take I can take both kinds of feedback and it can be useful, but I don't have to use that feedback to either elevate <laughs> myself or crush myself. So I think the the using of, of information, the sharing of information you know, however it happens to be to, to come is really useful. So that's what I hear you saying. And I, yeah. I like that reframe yeah. for sure.
2: So it looks like you have seen evolutions in the model over the decades and probably evolutions in the way the model is taught. Do you want to underline some today?
3: Evolution of the basic IFS model, do you mean?
2: Yes, or also in the way the model is taught. Taught.
1: I think the evolution is more in the way it's taught than the actual model. I mean, I think you said, or somebody said, Dick said, the model hasn't changed that much over the years. And I would agree. The core of the model, uh, Dick hasn't uh, taken away <laughs> any of the core of the model.
2: Since the Red Book, right?
1: Right. <laughs> the Red Book, yeah. I think the way we teach it has, is that's what we've been talking about a lot today. <clears throat> and that's gone through different you know, from just getting it out there to really solidifying some really good concepts and principles in a solid way, Um, and then going on to sort of making it available to the global majority. So it's evolved that way. But what do you think, Tone? I don't know if the core of the model has changed that much.
3: I think the basic assumptions are still taught in the same way that they always were, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The goals, if we're allowed to have goals. So... I think I think if there's an evolution, I agree. It's how it's being taught and then how different people are adding uh specific areas of interest, like us, you know, trauma and relational work and Susan McConnell, somatic IFS. And, you know, there's someone on my team who's thinking about neurodiversity and couples. So I think people are taking the basic model and see how they can fold in or expand the model in different um areas of expertise. So yeah, I would agree. I think the the basic ball is the same basic ball, which is comforting
1: in a way, right? I mean, right. It took a long time, you know, from that early 80s of putting his his ideas out there. He didn't write the red book till 95. That's 10 or 12 years of letting it gestate, you know, and listening and and taking things in. But since that time there's been new ways to teach, new ways to solidify what the message is. But I don't think, the, and, you know, and the systemic piece, managers, firefighters, exile, we might think about changing some of that wording or adding to it. But the idea of a systemic model with three categories of parts, a self that reaches out, a, you know, a goal for relationship building, uh, you know, exiles, you know, underneath protective parts, this is the core, and it's the core has never changed. I, I Would you say that, Tony? I would. I'm just thinking.
3: This is good because while you're talking, I'm I'm thinking, and it seems like <laughs> what I would also say that might be evolving mm-hmm. uh, as I start um, as we're introducing um, ifio anyway, and I'm sure an ifs too to the global majority as you're talking about is the idea. Um, and the definition of self, mm-hmm. and I'm hearing, and, and there's one other thing too: the definition of self, and then the definition of healing. Mm. And I've had some conversations with Chris Burris as well, who's been at the leading edge of helping IFSI diversify, um, you know, across race, gender, you know, all, all of the all of the ways that we need to diversify as an organization is. The paradigm of healing, when you're working in an, with an individual, has always been taught self to part, and now we're being actually, you know, I think we're being invited into looking at, um, you know, indigenous practices, of which some are folded folded in, by the way, into this model also, but to look at how we can expand our definition of healing and self to be more in the collective and less in the individual. And I've really resonates with me as a relationship therapist. It really resonates with me that healing can occur between yourself and your parts, but it can also be happen profoundly in relationship and in, you know, in, in collective spaces, as opposed to in individual spaces and that, You know, the idea sometimes, I think, in in asking people to do a U-turn, you know what I mean, a U-turn, to go inside, is I'm going to get trapped in there with me, myself, and I. And that's not the message that we want to give anywhere, I think, in IFS, which is this anchoring of yourself is a way to strengthen yourself in relationship or community. And so I, I really love, I love being invited into that process um, of, of kind of expanding those definitions. So I don't know if you're also thinking about that, but
1: yeah, you know, well, it's just, it's an interesting conversation to have. And I, around what is self and is the idea of self-changing and, you know, I, you know, I don't want to, that's not the nature of this conversation, but I, um, I might differentiate between what is self-led and what is self. And you know those are just interesting conversations. But for me, you know, making that spectrum a long time ago, you know, some things are self-led, some things are self. I don't know how different all that is, but i I'm, as I say that, some of my out there are going Sees! you know, um, but what i what I like is the what I like is all the voices. And what I think has been consistent in ifs. and as you say that, Tony, I guess in a sense of training, can in and of itself also be a healing vehicle and the relationships formed in trainings can be healing. And I think that the connection, every, that's our experientials and trainings are not just individual. How many times do they break up in a group and have reflection groups? And we have done this all along. So in and of themselves, the trainings are create a community again, more or less strong. I mean, there's, you know, but we are all doing this in community and we all start together and introduce ourselves And we end together and close out together as a group. And I think that that's an interesting, that's been an underlying piece, assumption, if you will. And I really love you saying that. And I never thought about it this way, Tony, that the community has also been the way IFS has been taught, as opposed to a separate cubicle where we learn separately and go home and take a test or come in and take a test. It's been woven experientially, uh, which is in relationship, not just an internal experience
0: and you know Tony you were mentioning how over the years different people have come in and brought their own areas of expertise and kind of been folding those into the model and each of the two of you has contributed in very significant ways to IFS you know specifically Tony as the creator of intimacy from the inside out which I really believe it's just a brilliant application of the IFS model to couples therapy and and cease, of course, with bringing your expertise and understanding and treating addictive processes. You've helped so many thousands of us, including myself, approach addictive processes with compassion, with more skill. So I was wondering if you could each take some time, just talk about your personal contributions to the
1: model. Well, I just think it all comes from my personal life. You know, like, what am I interested in? You know, I sat in the training and Dick talked about, you know, early perpetrators he worked with and firefighters. And I uh, wept because, oh, I feel emotional saying that. Wow. I'm going to take a breath here. So many people in my immediate family, my extended family, as I say, so many people I've loved have suffered uh, with different kinds of addictive processes, have died in relation to their addictive processes, relationships have been lost, you know, and this idea of how to love someone who is difficult, the complexity of my own parts and someone else's parts, who's engaged in harming behavior, as well as has many other lovable parts, that, that not right there, that captured me from the beginning because that's, you know, so much a part of my own journey. So uh, uh, that's where I stayed, you know. And so the, that's where early on I wrote, I told Dick, I want to write an essay, we had a newsletter about why I love my firefighters. He goes, well, what's that going to be about? Because we didn't have a positive view of firefighters. <clears throat> and I said, well, no, I, I think that they have a role to play. And, you know, write it up. You know, he, he, he's very open. so this. Idea has been. This has informed me, you know, and um, all along the way. So that is my desire: is to find a way to be in relationship within ourselves um, and within relationships. And you know, we're all nested in all these larger systems that impact this, um, with very difficult uh, behaviors and how to be with that Uh, that's that's all it's just really that's where my where I went and you know what still creates a lot of passion in me
3: I'm I'm so touched by that see I think I knew that but just hearing you talk talk about it again it's it's moving me (laughs) I feel moved
1: (laughs) yeah well it's just you know I don't know what else to say in this moment just it's so all from my own experience. It's These aren't ideas. They're <laughs> uh, uh, ways to be. This model invites us by working with our parts to become self-led and to develop self-leadership, which allows us to be with very difficult things in a different way. And uh, I mean, that's, and as I say that, Tony, I, I, you could say that exact thing. You'll say it your way, but that. Is, about right, doing. right.
3: Yeah. I mean, my journey is a little bit different, but I could say some of the very same things, so especially that last piece is how to help people be with difficult, difficult parts of themselves and difficult dilemmas in ways that have a lot more understanding folded in uh, into it. You know, I'm a little bit different because I don't know how I ended up as a couple therapist in the conscious. I mean, in the unconscious, there's a whole story (laughs) about that. But when I got, when I I came to IFS by accident and I was a couple therapist only at the time and working with some really challenging systems and really challenging. And I knew that the attachment Mm -hmm. work that I was trying to invite couples into was not holding. And I knew deep in my gut that there needed to be some self-love on board <laughs> um, mm. and some understanding of one's own system in order for them to do these do these things that I was trying to help them do, which is to deepen intimacy or have courageous conversations or um, negotiate really difficult things. And uh-huh. So I started a little journey on trying to find that thing, you know, that could help individuals in relationship anchor themselves in themselves um, first before trying to to be there for the other person or even have these some of these hard conversations. And so when I found IFS, I thought, okay, here's the component, which is the internal differentiation, self-to-part, which is only going to lead to them being able to Return to the other people, whoever it is, you know, whatever configuration in the system and change their conversations and change their ability to connect. And as you said earlier, somewhere in this conversation, see, so around the the first training you did, how to be present with difference, because in my mind, that's where couples and that's where people in relationship fall into really big holes is We're different and that makes us bad and wrong. So um, that, that most of the struggle also comes from the shame, I'm not lovable, or you're not lovable, or we're too different. You know, all of those conversations that people in relationship come in with. And so that was the beginning of my journey is how to help couple IFS therapists who want to work with couples learn, take the principles that Dick already was using. And with couples and families and make it much, you know, make it easier to learn and easier to apply. So that was the beginning of the journey of creating a training program. And that training program is still evolving. (laughs) I'm still, I'm, we're still, as you know, we were saying earlier, we're still learning how to teach it in a more inviting way to people across cultures and identities and, um, and where can some of these also where can some of these ideas like courageous communication courageous conversations where it can what do i want to say here how it can be used outside of intimate relationships so we're we're in that we're in that evolution as well you know that this isn't this is no longer just about intimate relationships which is where it started to conflict resolution restorative justice work You know, which is exciting. You know, it's exciting to me. And that's in in the baby, baby infancy stages.
1: Well, I don't know if you said it in this talk or if I, you know, I was, I told Tony I'd listen to her podcast. I know her very well. I'm going to listen to the podcast. Maybe I don't know everything. What is she up to? (laughs) What is she up to? Um, But I think you said it here, but I want to emphasize something that you said there too, which is, Uh you know, how do I hold on to myself and still be with you? And you maybe said it a little more eloquently than that, but something around that that also comes up in relationships so that we feel like we have to lose ourselves in order to, to be in a loving relationship. So <clears throat> there's also the thing of making the other one such an other, but there's how do we just hold on to ourselves? So I really like anchored into that piece. You know, I think that's um, powerful, you know, and I think that that's powerful in whatever way you want to apply you know, relationship building can be applied in every different way, you know, obviously beyond couples and, um, you know, without shame and so forth. So, I mean, that's kind of what I hear too when you say that. And I love that. I love that. It takes courageous communication to talk about hard subjects in every subject. So, you know, this is self from self. We are courageous if we, you know, if we, we but it takes a little work. Just let that come out in our heart and I walk back. You know. But it takes courage to uh courageous communication is just so central. So I I love that.
3: You know, you're talking about also in terms of being courageously able for people to be courageously able and facilitated to be in relationship with themselves, with parts of themselves that have been hated. And I hear you talking about that too. Right. You know right. that that you can learn to love these parts of yourselves who all people in your life hate (laughs) and a lot of your own parts hate too. So that's, that's, you know, that's life-changing. That's life-changing work, yeah.
2: And are there wrong ways to teach and live the model? And if yes, do you want to name some?
1: I'm sure I've engaged in a
2: few, but... (laughs) I probably
1: <laughs> probably made mistakes i've made but wow i guess if i was going to say there's anything wrong i don't know if, uh, this isn't a process you know we've been saying all the time how experiential the the model has always been so that's the right way so maybe a wrong way would be to teach the model without ever inviting going internally ourselves getting you know Teach the model without ever having the opportunity to practice with with another. Uh, I think without the experiential component, uh, just the concepts is only going to get you so far. I I don't know. What would you say to that, Tom?
3: I agree. I agree. I think, and I think as you're even saying that, I think that some trainers, um, and I can talk more about my own trainers, but where they're way stronger in the left brain and so they they lean toward people are only going to get this if we get a whole lot clearer and we chunk it down and we make it more linear and then there are other people who tend to be more right brain oriented or somatically branded and and really totally believe which is where i let tend to lean which is you're not going to get it if you don't do it you know in some way so i think the combination of both of those is really the right way <laughs> if we're going to even you know categorize it like that but and i think going leaning in one direction too far or another direction too far because it's what you're comfortable with as a trainer is actually not going to invite the most people into learning the model
1: right
3: so finding about ba- finding a balance i think
1: perfectly put yeah that's right
0: As, as a final question, you know, we were reflecting on how being a trainer is really demanding in so many ways because it requires you to, of course, as you've been talking about today to to know, to work with your own system in part so that you can hold self energy for participants participants and staff. you can end up doing meditations and teaching didactic segments and leading exercises and doing demos and And also existing for many days in a row in the collective energy field of the group, which we know can involve a lot of self-energy, but also involves the energy of a lot of activated Mm. parts, you know, our own parts, participants' parts, the staff's parts. So for those trainers that are, you know, following in your footsteps, do you have any advice about how those that teach the model can care for themselves, you know, in the process of being a trainer? during training Um,
2: the self-care thing slightly
1: i don't know if this is a good thing to say or not but it's good to remember that there's a life out there that has nothing to do with ifs you know (laughs) you know go you know just just to kind of do something else like really different you know um whether it would you know tell you you're a painter you know whatever it is to just to go be with other things and other people and that p of perspective i think i need I need space. I love to be in it, and then I need space out. You know, so I need to just. Uh, I think that that finding. I guess you know, Tony, you're talking about the balance. I love that between left brain, right brain kind of way, but also the brain, the training between you know the balance between our our work and ourselves, and not to neglect that. We're gonna when we're in it, we're in it up to our eyeballs. I can hardly talk. You know, at nine o'clock at night, how's it fine? You know, I don't have that much to say because I'm in the, the training is consuming. But then to invite in the other parts of our life, whatever, you know, the other people in our life, the other relationships in our life, um, the other things that we love to do uh, so that we're not just in the work. You know, I mean, I have lots of work Hall of Parts and I've been working hard as everyone has uh, in particular in these last few years. It's been so demanding, but... The other piece, I think, too, is that uh, I I heard someone speak recently about the, we didn't even talk about it, Tony, and you were involved in it, but we're now training trainers. Let's just say that that's like a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a brilliant idea. <laughs> and a brilliant idea. But, you know, we went out there and worked on our part to, you know, as Tony and I co-leading in 2005 in California, working on our parts together, staying up late to work on our parts so we could get up the next morning and do our thing, you know, and so that's how we had to learn, and I think now there is a training cohort, and so I think leaning on each other in the, you know, finding people that you can call or text and ask, how do you do this, or or, what did you have, and knowing that there's people out there that you can lean on, Um, and having, creating trusting relationships, having someone it helps me to have someone on staff that I can really just be with and, you know, um, sort out my parts. I think that's was so healing when we sorted out our parts when we were working together in 05, Tony. And that's always this healing, a safe place to t- sort out our parts. We need that. When we're in it, we need to be able to do that. You know, and find that place. And I love that you guys... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to
3: say everything that you just said. And the one the one thing that I might add that has been really helpful for me also is to find someone outside the organization that I can get support and help from as well. Mm-hmm. So that getting a perspective, an outside perspective has been really helpful for me as well. But all the the balance between your work life and your self-care life and your play life and your family life, you know, I did not have that balance for a lot of years and I think it took a toll on a lot of people Mm -hmm. around me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think that's really important. Like you minimized it a little bit, but I would say, I think it's so important for new trainers to make sure that this is a piece of your pie and not your whole pie, because having it be your whole pie, you know, you get like, unbalanced Mm -hmm. so and also also um new trainers to use the process like use the model to process what's happening inside yourself what's happening in your staff groups what's happening in your training groups it's a gorgeous model for um interpersonal you know or you know interrelational upsets so using the model, not to forget that it's the greatest tool, you know, but, but I also do think that self-care and support and help and, um, is really right up there it, with the most important. Yeah.
1: And back to my own thing about being vulnerable, I think knowing what I need, like I'm, if I need feedback after a demo, I have to go to my staff and they're busy eating their lunch. I'm like, okay, I need some feedback. I need to say something nice to me about that demo that was extremely hard, by the way, you know? <laughs> You know, uh-huh. just really just, um, like, oh, okay. You know, just so to know what I need to get myself sorted. If do I need that or do I need to process something else? Knowing what, you know, knowing when I'm feeling vulnerable and wherever I go, uh, ask for some support around that. Whether, wherever I can, where, <laughs> wherever I can get, it. but to know when I need <laughs> that, Um and I think where was, I want to say around the, the community, since we came in a small community, as Tony was saying earlier, we could reach out to each other and I felt a lot of safety talking to other trainers early on to process what was happening. And um, I was very, uh, it's healing and it's uh, energizing and illuminating. We learn, you know, and uh, it's been really valuable.
2: Tony and Sid, thank you so much for having us. It was a joy to be here with you and Lexi, and we hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work, and our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you
1: for having us, John. Good to see you. It has really been a journey.
3: It's been great to talk about it because there have been so many stages of our learning and growing. I mean, think how many years ago when, you know...